Welcome to The Conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and patients. In this series, QSource addresses adverse drug events known as ADEs. This is when someone is harmed by a medicine. Pharmacist John Pouliot, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Lipscomb University, shares his experience and knowledge about ADEs in a series of conversations with QSource Quality Improvement Advisor Don Gettinger. Our guest speaker also maintains a practice site at Williamson Medical Center in Franklin, Tennessee, and his practice interests include emergency medicine, transitions of care, infectious diseases, pain management, and adverse drug effect prevention. While persistent pain may be common in older adults, it is not a normal part of the aging. Most nursing home residents have at least one condition associated with pain. In this episode, the conversation is about the types of pain, what opioids should or shouldn't be used for pain management and long-term care, and alternate pain management strategies that have shown to benefit patients. Now, let's get this conversation started. So to get us started talking about pain management, um, is all pain the same or are there some differences we need to consider? That's a great question. I think it's important for us to really start here uh, when we think about um, how opiates fit into pain management by first talking about pain. So a lot of times we think about pain as, oh, I dropped something on my toe and I had this acute injury and here's the pain. But pain is is a sensation, but it's also can have an emotional component to it. Uh, and it's it's often complex. It's a lot more um, there's a lot more going on uh, than just this cause and effect thing. So when we think about pain, we want to think about two uh, components of it. First, the cause of pain, and we differentiate that uh, into three separate categories, and the time component of pain. Is this a pain that's going to go away because there's an acute injury, or is there something going on that's going to cause this pain to linger for a period of time? Within the causes, the three types of pain um, that we talk about are nociceptive pain, neuropathic pain, and then we have a category for a specific kind of pain um, called sensory hypersensitivity. Nociceptive pain is is that traditional uh, type of pain that we think about that's related to damage to tissue that can be due to trauma or inflammation. So injury and trauma, gout, arthritis, both rheumatoid and osteoarthritis are common uh, causes of nociceptive pain. There's some injury that is causing that pain to, to some injury to tissue that's causing um, the pain to be present for the patient. That's about 80% of of pain um, that we see in the acute and chronic setting. Neuropathic pain is pain that's related to damage to uh, nerves or either peripheral or central nerves. And the two big types of neuropathic pain are diabetic peripheral neuropathy and post-herpetic neuralgia. So the the nerve damage that occurs from from, uh, the herpes virus uh, injuries. The third type of pain is is, uh, sensory hypersensitivity. So we don't have an identifiable injury to either the nerve or to tissue, um, but there's some sort of dysregulation in the pain response, um, and we would put fibromyalgia as as that category there. 
we don't have an injury, but there's a, an expression of pain from the patient. And so we want to address that. And so it's, a, it's important to think about those different types of pain because the management of those types of pain are going to be different. So opiates are going to be potentially beneficial in some types of pain, but not helpful in other types of pain. The next thing we want to think about in addition to cause is the timing of the pain. Is this acute or chronic? So we have uh, identified that time frame as uh, at three months. So if the pain uh, persists for less than three months, then we call it acute pain. This is mostly going to be that nociceptive tissue damage pain. Um, there's really there there it's a little bit more clear cut, and we don't have as much of the psychologic um, complications. Uh, the goal for acute pain is to cure or alleviate the pain. So that's that's our goal for acute pain. Um, chronic pain is is pain that persists for greater than three months. It often is associated with some of the psychological symptoms that we see, like depression and insomnia. Uh, and it's important to note that the goal for chronic pain is different. So we are not trying to cure and alleviate the pain when it's chronic. We're really just focused on the functionality of the patient. How can we get you to function best, um, given that this pain, uh, this chronic pain is affecting your life? Sorry, that was a little long-winded, but I think it's really important before we start talking about medications uh, to, to make sure that we have those distinctions in place. No, that's that's great. I was actually thinking, obviously, about myself, because that's all I usually think about is myself, but I've been dealing with <laughs> plantar fasciitis pain for the last month or two, so I was just thinking that kind of puts it in that acute um, and the, the, the tissue damage pain. That, that main part. But it's good that yeah. we can differentiate that because, I, like you said, it, it sounds like it's going to have some um, differences in how we would want to treat them and when and when and how we would want to use specifically opioids in those treatment. So thinking about that, when should opioids be used for pain management in these cases? <clears throat> uh, so with that background, I think we really opiates are only indicated for acute nociceptive pain. So it, they really should not be first-line agents for chronic pain, um, and they should not really be uh, chosen for neuropathic or sensory hypersensitivity-type pain. Um, if we give opiates in those scenarios of neuropathic pain or sensory hypersensitivity, they can, they can make the patient look like they're having pain relief, um, often because they're sedating the patient, but they often are going to mask some of the true causes and symptoms. So opiates um, are not really going to get to the root of those types of pain. The only time that you would really use opiates for chronic pain is for cancer-related pain um, or for patients that are um, at the end of life and they're in hospice or comfort care type situations. The CDC has actually come out with a guideline for prescribing opiates for chronic pain, and some of the recommendations include uh, that opiates are not to be used as first-line or routine therapy for chronic pain, and that we should look at treatment goals and realistic expectations for using opiates if we do use it, but that they should not, they should not be used um, for routine therapy for chronic pain. Interesting. And We'll see if we can get that link for those CDC guidelines as well. Yes. And just to be clear, I'm, I'm not on opioids for my, my plantar fasciitis pain um, and hopefully won't have to go there. Um, but 
talking about these, there are some some different medications that are available. Can you review some of those common opioid medications and their side effects? Sure. Um, some of the most common opiate medications uh, that are used uh, in in uh, chronic pain or in long-term pain um, would be hydrocodone and oxycodone. These are generally considered lower, lower potency opiates. Um, they often are in combination with acetaminophen or Tylenol, and so it's important to acknowledge that when you're giving these medications in combination with Tylenol, that you're considering how much Tylenol the patient's getting in a day. Um, these are, are best used as as-needed agents. Um, we use them for acute pain, and they're very effective um, for acute pain, um, and they should really... Uh, they're, they're not really best utilized when they're scheduled, so they're better as needed. Morphine is, is probably historically the most common agent in this class and sort of uh, the, the, um, the main one that we historically used. Um, one of the things with morphine is that it has a lot of metabolites, and so without getting into too much detail, um, morphine is metabolized in the liver, but there are some active metabolites that... Um, can accumulate in patients, especially elderly patients and patients with liver and kidney disease. And so while we think we're just giving a dose and it's going to have uh, an onset of action and it's going to, uh, the effects of the medication are going to dissipate after a period of time, um, morphine tends to hang around a lot longer in those elderly patients and patients with kidney disease. And so it can cause kind of a dose stacking effect or a, an increased uh, side effect profile for that medication. Another class, uh, another group of medications would be sort of the, the potent medications, so hydromorphone and fentanyl. Um, these are very potent, more potent than morphine, and really should not be used outside of the acute care setting, with the exception of patients that have end-of-life considerations or uh, are having cancer-related pain. Um, and so these medications would really not be good options. The last one I want to mention is tramadol. Tramadol sometimes doesn't get lumped in as an opiate, but it is an opiate. Um, it is one of the more common agents that we see in the long-term care setting. Um, you know, with QSource, we've been working with in the in Tennessee uh, with a lot of uh, programs um, and long-term care facilities, and that's one of the the agents that we see more commonly. Tramadol is really a, a fairly poor pain reliever. So in terms of potency, it would be the lowest potency of the opiates. It doesn't really do a very good job at pain relief, but it does expose the patient to a decent amount of side effects. So there's been studies that have looked at tramadol and shown that it's not it's it's minimally effective as a pain reliever, but it does expose the patient to drug interactions and additional side effects um, and the risk of dependence as well. Tramadol also uh, has some effects uh, uh, in the brain and can um, increase the risk for seizures. So those are some of the medications that I think we see on a, in a typical on a typical basis uh, in the long-term care facilities. Thank you, John. Uh, you know, like you were saying, it sounds like some of these medications have some different effects or or more added effects um, in our geriatric population that's typically in long-term care settings. So yeah. what are some strategies that, that long-term care settings use to, to minimize opiate use? So before we, we get into that, I did want to kind of mention specifically some of the side effects. I think I, I, I kind of skipped out on that, and I think it's important, and then I'll kind of get into some of the minimization strategies. 
So, so obvious side effects for opiates are going to be sedation that can lead to potential overdose and respiratory depression and so forth. Constipation is a really common side effect, cognitive impairment, nausea and vomiting, and then the tolerance and dependence that we um, unfortunately are seeing it throughout our society, not just in the long-term care setting. Long-term care patients are at increased risk for these side effects, and they can uh, these side effects can increase falls, depression. Um, they can cause weight loss from both the nausea and vomiting and the sedation that decreases appetites. Um, they also can, uh, opiates can impact the patient's activities of daily living and decrease independence. And so in the, in the long-term care setting where um, staffing is, 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 has become an issue over the last few years, um, having to dedicate staff resources to patients um, to help them with their activities of daily living, that's a real consideration. Um, Long-term care patients are also at increased risk for pressure ulcers from the sedation and so forth, as well as bladder incontinence. Um, and so some of the strategies that we want to employ, um, we obviously want to think about the patient first. So think about the patient and what they're um, experiencing. And it's important to educate the patient and make sure that they're part of they're participating um, in their pain management strategy. The biggest thing that we found success uh, with long-term care facilities in terms of opiate minimization strategies is to get a specific indication. So what is the cause of the pain and the location of the pain? Because that could sometimes help us determine if opiates are even necessary. Um, and, and then we go on and, and think about, okay, the patient is on an opiate. How can we do some dose reduction strategies? Um, so reduce the dose and see if the patient is still um, having good pain relief. Moving from scheduled uh, opiates to, to as needed so that they have to ask for the medication in order to receive it. And then spacing out the frequency of when they are able to get those um, medications at, at request. The other part of this is when we're, when we're trying to reduce opiate use for a specific patient, making sure that we're adding other therapies that might be beneficial to them. So if they have osteoarthritis and we want to get them off an opiate, we could add some non-pharmacologic uh, treatments like therapies and massage and things like that uh, while we are trying to remove opiates. This can be a very personal thing for the patients. Um, they, they tend to have a, an attachment to um, their medications. And so we want to make sure that when we're reducing or removing medications that we're adding other therapies that will help them both in their pain management, um, but also in their, um, their kind of emotional well-being uh, while doing this. No, that's, that's really interesting. And, and it reminds me of something that we've worked with a few of our facilities with in Indiana um, called a comfort menu, which is yes. has those, those types of activities that, um, you know, like soothing music or um, some kind of aromatherapy to, to help um, give an option besides those opioids as, as far as comfort and pain management. Um, so what are, when we're talking about that, that minimizing the use, um, how do you manage the pain in these patients still? I mean, they, they still might have pain while we're reducing that. What kind of strategies are used mm -hmm. to make? Yeah, I think the first thing that we want to do is is that is to make sure we're educating our patients on their expectations of their pain. So back at the beginning, we talked about with chronic pain, 
we're often not going to get to a full alleviation of their pain. And so the best thing that we can do is try to set reasonable goals for the patient and have their buy-in so that we can say, look, unfortunately, you have this condition and it's causing you to be in pain. We don't feel like we're able to actually take all of the pain away, but we want you to be functional. And we think that you'll be best functional um, with minimizing the use of opiates because of all these side effects and it could, you know, worsen your condition. So that's the first thing. And then, you know, we, we have had lots of good success with the comfort menu. We use both. Uh, so the comfort menu, it has a lot of non-pharmacologic pain management that, you know, when we study it actually shows to be successful, especially in osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis, which are common conditions in the long-term care. So movement, uh, heat and cold, uh, repositioning strategies, massage, meditation, sleep hygiene can be really beneficial to patients because, um, you know, insomnia is is uh, often associated with chronic pain. Spiritual exercises. We've had facilities throughout Tennessee that have gotten really creative with some of these non-pharmacologic um, pain management strategies. And these are going to have the lowest risk of side effects for patients. We're not exposing them to other medications, and so we really can get good benefit without having, without adding any risk to the patient. And so those non-pharmacologic pain management strategies are really, really important, and be as creative as you can with them. And then, you know, I think it's important uh, to identify um, when opiates might not be the best option for patients and think about some non-opiate pain management um, so other medications that could be beneficial, th these medications are often going to carry a lower risk of side effect uh, compared to opiates. And so Tylenol for osteoarthritis is a really effective therapy. Um, and especially if you schedule the Tylenol, uh, making sure you keep the dose um, below the, the maximum for the day. But scheduling Tylenol is better than as-needed Tylenol. Um, NSAIDs like ibuprofen uh, or diclofenac can be helpful in certain patients. Uh, they do have side effects, uh, and, and we want to watch um, their use, especially uh, chronic use in patients with cardiovascular diseases and things like that. Um, one of the things that our, a lot of facilities have found successful is topical NSAIDs, so topical diclofenac or Voltaren gel, uh, especially if you have a specific joint or a specific area of the body where the pain is occurring. Uh, using topical really decreases side effect profile substantially, and other topicals can be effective like capsaicin, uh, cream, and things like that. We see some success with gabapentin uh, and pregabalin uh, for neuropathic pain. Those agents specifically are FDA-approved for the treatment of neuropathic pain. And so if you have somebody with neuropathic pain, like diabetic neuropathies, uh, these agents are going to be actually be preferred over opiates. Opiates are really not going to be effective. Um, the, again, they'll cause sedation, but not uh, really help the patient too much. And then we have uh, some antidepressants like duloxetine or Cymbalta that have um, pain, uh, pain uh, we're not exactly sure the mechanism, but they do help with pain and they've been studied um, and shown some efficacy for the treatment of chronic pain and specifically neuro, uh, neuropathic pain. That's great. Um, you were talking about how, how comfort menus a little bit ago um, are very highly customized. Um, and, and dependent on patient needs and, and what the, the facility can offer. Um, so we do, I think, have a sample um, comfort menu that we'll, we'll link to as well on the page. Yeah. 
So I want to kind of wrap us up here and just see if we can review some of the best practices for pain management in long-term care. Yeah, I think to summarize, I think it's really important that we are involving the patient, understanding, first of all, that the patient is at the center of what we're trying to do. So I know long-term care facilities have metrics that they need to meet in terms of uh, reduction in opiate, opiate strategies, but I think the first goal should be looking at the patient, making sure that, that we're doing the best for them, um, which often, almost always, in chronic pain is going to be removal of opiates or reduction in opiate use. And making sure that we're not just being dogmatic about that, that we're really thinking about the patient and giving them an explanation of why we're, we're, we're considering going down this path of opiate reduction and giving them autonomy. So having a give and take conversation with them, uh, helping them understand that what they think is being is, is helping their pain may not be the best for them in the long term. So really focusing in on those kinds of conversations. They can be difficult conversations. Uh, long-term care patients, especially geriatric patients, have a really kind of hard and fast rule. Well, the doctor told me to be on this, so this is what I'm going to do. Um, and they, it, it often requires negotiation and empathy and understanding. Uh, and so I think that's the best practice, the biggest best practice that we can, um, for lack of a better term, uh, think about. That the specific indications, getting a specific indication for the pain is going to be really helpful as we look at strategies for reducing opiates. And then really digging into those comfort menus or other similar ways to think about non-opiate, non-pharmacologic pain management strategies that are that are is going to benefit the patient. Anything that we can do to help them feel better, to be more functional, is going to go go uh, is going to really help them understand. Um, that they don't need this opiate. They don't. They don't need it. It's it's something that they can do without because their life could actually be better and more functional without it. Uh, and so it's it's sometimes it can be you know you're, you're more of a motivational speaker sometimes with your patients than than uh, care. Um, but I think it it really is in their best interest. So that's wonderful. Yeah, that that emotional support and um, and patient center support as always is, is one of the most important things we can do as caregivers. So John, I want to thank you again for being with us today, sharing this information about opioids in the long-term care setting. And I want to thank all of our listeners of the Conversation Podcast for being with us. Have a great day. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at qsource.org forward slash podcast. The conversation was produced by QSource, the Quality Innovation Network Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana, under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Contents does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.